0: Because all that God has given us, all that we have, and and we bring the church together. And it's not just a one-race church. It's a multi-generational, national-level type of church that just comes together. And any church that wants to leave anybody out is an abomination. And I tell you, that is going to be the fall of the church. There's been uh, a lot of times that I have really thought about the purpose of the church and why we're here, and uh, it, seems, it seems that I always get challenged. Well, I'm a little challenged anyways, but I always get challenged when I start to read some of the Word of, the Word of God and, and get, my, get challenged by what God is saying, and then what it is that I am to say. And like a a wise man told me here this last week, you don't just want to preach things that are going to tickle people's ears. (laughs) And uh, basically, that's what the Word of God says as well. And as you know, we've been going through the the book of Galatians. Open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. We've been going through the book of Galatians. Paul is talking to the churches in Galatia. And what he is trying to establish is exactly that. You know, I don't want to tickle you guys' ears. I don't want to just let everything go by the wayside, but you guys have been preaching, and there is a wrong gospel being taught, and some of you are, uh, are being compromised. Some of you are compromising your belief, your faith, your idea, and you're being compromised. You're compromising yourselves into this new or different gospel, which is not a different gospel, which is not even a gospel at all. And so Paul is, is uh, he is just jealous for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he's been talking to the church and he's been sharing with them and, and with us as well on what this gospel is, and we've been learning uh, even more so uh, about what the gospel is, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, it's more than just coming to church, you know, come to church and hear the gospel, hear the pastor preach on a very good sermon. The gospel is not just feeding the poor, the gospel, which is some of the things that we should be doing, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is not that God has a purpose or plan for your life, which is also true. God does have a purpose and plan for your life. But the gospel of Jesus Christ deals with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And what all that includes, we are sinners and uh, we cannot get to heaven on our own accord. And so, God had to do something. The, the wrath of God is upon all sinful men. The wrath of God is upon all sin. And because we're all born into sin and we are all sinners, then God's wrath is upon us. That's why we needed a Savior, a Savior which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came onto this planet, died on the cross. Oh, it was moved. Died on the cross. <laughs> You know, I got to get used to that. Died on the cross, and, and he gave his life for us. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the reasons that we kind of redid this is I really wanted to make the cross the focus instead of something just by the side. And, and I'm, I'm praying that it's a symbol. It's not one thing that we come up and we pray on or pray before. Or, you know, we're not, we're not asking the cross to be our, our lucky charm or our uh, protection. Uh, we don't wear it around our necks as such, but we focus on what Jesus Christ did on that old rugged cross where my Savior bled and died. And that's the, that's the one thing that we want to focus on. So Paul is, is focused on that as well. And in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, and I'm going to read through verse 21, and you can read along with me if you'd like. But it says this, and it's a little bit out of, uh, you'll see, it'll make sense here in just a bit. With the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Father in heaven, we thank you for this portion of scripture. As always, we know that you bring it to light for us. Without knowing the context of what's going on in in the book of Galatians, without knowing what's going on in the churches, even so, Lord, you bring truth in this particular passage for us. And I pray, Father, that as we go through this portion that you help us to not compromise the gospel that you've already laid out for us, that you gave to mankind from all eternity, that we will continue to walk in that faith, that I will be able to clarify my commitment to Jesus Christ and to you, that I will commit my life to Jesus, and to serving you. So, Father, I thank you once again for what you've given us. I pray for those that are not able to be here today, specifically for Terry. I know that she's experienced a stroke. I pray, God, that you just help her, help her family, give her peace and comfort in this time of her need, Lord. And for those that are within the sound of my voice, uh, for Rick and and for Carol, as well as not feeling well. Just this pandemic that has affected a lot of people and uh, has put the fear Uh, of this world, this fear that that has been upon us, Father. And I I pray, God, that that you just remove this fear because you did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity. Father, you gave us a, a spirit of sound mind, of power and of love, and you've given us a spirit that is able to stand and withstand any wind, any gale, any storm, any flood when we build our life on the rock. Lord, help us to establish the foundation even now as we build it and we build upon it. And we we continue to grow upon what you've already done in our life. Thank you, Father, for this portion of Scripture, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this portion of Scripture, Paul is talking to Peter. Actually, he's talking to the church in Galatia, and he's talking about what he did to Peter. And I don't think Paul had this idea of wanting to better himself or to actually put somebody else down if you remember correctly, it was the apostles that are the ones that walked and traveled with Jesus. And it's the apostles that Jesus gave the mandate to go and make disciples. And it was the apostles that the church, is, uh, that the church has been laid, the foundation has been laid upon the prophets and the apostles. And so Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Paul came into the picture a little bit later. So he's really, a I don't know, a subordinate to Peter, to Cephas. He's more of a, a person that came alongside, but he rose to this a place of prominence because of God's hand upon him. As a matter of fact later on in 2 Peter you'll read in chapter 3 that as Peter is reprimanded in this portion of scripture as we just read and instead of falling back or or retaliating or whatever it is that maybe I would do if somebody were to come up to me and try to set me straight or maybe some, what, some, what you might do if somebody came up to you and set you straight. You know, instead of retaliating, we don't know what his response was. I mean, we have no record of it in Acts or here in Galatians. But we do know later in Second Peter that Peter, I guess, reflects on all that's been happening. And he says, you know, Paul has written some sound doctrine, some sound truth. And it seems to be confusing to those that are not in the light. And they try to take that in. Twisted to their own ideas. He says, pay close attention to what Paul says. And so you can almost get the idea that Peter, even though he was reprimanded in public and he was opposed to his face, and he stood condemned because of his waffling of the gospel, his commitment was not solid. And he says, before, he says in verse 12, before certain men came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles. Now, these men supposedly had come from James. And you remember we've been talking about James being the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, everybody had this understanding that the gospel of grace is by grace alone. The law doesn't work to keep us saved, as a matter of fact, or or to save us. Paul tried everything. He was a Jew. He was, a, he was a, a circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. This man, if, if anyone knew the law, if anybody tried to live by the law, it was Paul. And he says, I, I, I did everything. I'm, if you want to be a Jew, if you think that you're a Hebrew, i more than anybody else. And he knew that by living by the law, it had no way of saving him. And so he knows legalism but he also experienced grace. And he has that. He has both those areas. Now, Peter and the apostles, they also knew the law, but not like Paul. Paul knew it backwards and forwards. And he really believed that when he was condemning the church and putting them in prison, he was actually doing what God asked him to do. He really believed that he was doing God a favor. But as we come to find out, Jesus knocks him off his horse, finds out that he has been kicking against the goad. Why are you doing this? Paul repents, and he starts to preach the gospel instead of persecute the church. And so Paul comes on the scene when Peter is there in Antioch, and what Peter was doing is he was eating with the Gentiles. Now, as a Jew, you just didn't mix those types of religions. It was the Jews and everybody else. And everybody else was destined to go to hell. And us Jewish people, Peter thought, and all the Jews thought, are God's chosen people. And so anything that was not of Jewish descent or anyone that wasn't of Jewish descent, they were off limits. You didn't eat with them. You didn't communicate with them. You didn't even buy from them. You didn't do anything with them. Pharisees and those that were really devout Jews, as they were walking down the street, and if they were to see me... Uh, you know, a non-Jew, uh, Gentile, they would go around and not try to stay as far away from me as possible as if I had the COVID or something. I don't know. But th- that's the way it was. They were isolated and they were to themselves. But Peter had a vision, and the vision was that this sheet came down with all these animals on it, and the Lord says to him, kill and eat, and Peter says, I'm not going to eat any of that stuff. You know, those slimy snakes or birds or whatever it is that's on that sheet. We don't know, but all kinds of things that were in there that were unclean. Far be it from me, he says, I will not eat of that. And the second time it came down, and God tells him, kill and eat. A third time it came down, and at that time he had a knock on the door by a Gentile. And he realized, you know, I need to go to this Gentile's house. He walked into this Gentile's room and he ministered to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. The household was saved. Cornelius and all his family were saved. And they were baptized in the name of Jesus. What Peter had found is that God included the Gentiles as well. The gospel has to be preached to the Gentiles. Yet, when he was approached by Judaizers, or those from the Jewish sect what happened was that he was intimidated you can't be doing that these people they're Gentiles they cannot be Christians until they become Jews there is all the ceremonial things that have to happen the circumcision the following of the laws the the traditions and all these things and they cannot be Christians until that happens that's not the gospel See, the gospel gets preached today almost in the same manner. You cannot be a Christian unless you attend our church, or you cannot be a Christian unless you not only accept Christ, but also have the the spiritual gifts that some churches claim that you have to have. You cannot be a Christian unless you go on a journey and you go to Mecca or you knock on doors or, or whatever the case may be. You cannot get saved fully as a Christian unless you believe in Jesus Christ and something else. And Paul says, that's that's not true. That's that's a farce. But see, Peter, like some of us, was easily intimidated, especially when it comes down to people that are, I guess, from uh, up there in in society, or the the leaders of the church. You guys come from James? Yeah, we came from James. And James never said that, by the way. Uh, But yeah, and you're not supposed to be hanging out with Jews and you're eating with them. And the type of eating that they were having was not just having lunch or, a, or breakfast or whatever the case may be. They, they would uh, be involved in, which we all should be, in what was called a love feast. A uh, love feast is the meal that we all came together and we all had food together and we participated and broke bread and also experience, and also had that Lord's Supper that we call it, you know, breaking bread, wine and, and taking it in. But uh, for the, for, the, for the Gentiles, as they were grafted in to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Jewish people were starting to mingle with them. But again, they said that that shouldn't be done. And Paul says to them, uh, what he did for certain men came from J- James. He was eating with the Gentiles. He was having these love feasts. They were enjoying the fellowship, enjoying the company. But when, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them so that even Barnabas was led astray on their hypocrisy. Our waffling, our compromise, our compromising of the gospel, what happens is that we sometimes influence others. And there's going to come a time, and and there's going to come a time when our compromise cannot be, we cannot compromise the gospel. So in, in point number one in your outlines, if you pull that out, in order to understand what it means to be twice crucified, in order to be able to to move forward from this point forward, number one, I will not compromise the gospel. I cannot compromise the gospel. Paul says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, in front of everybody, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? If you are living with them and and breaking every law that we have, and you're eating their foods and you're fellowshipping with them, and then all of a sudden somebody comes in and calls you on that, you pull back and you say, "Okay, you guys got to live like Jews." And and the the whole, we are a church that includes all nationalities, all races, and and it's that inclusivity, it's that inclusivity that holds us. Tight that we include everyone within our church. But it's that inclusivity that's really going to destroy the church or the false church in America in the days to come. Weeks, hopefully months, hopefully years. I'll get to that in just a bit. But it was Peter, it was Paul that, was, that opposed Peter, and he says to him, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live that way? How is it that you are asking them to do something that you've already violated, and yet you want them to hold on to the, the strict rules that you, you yourself won't even hold on to? You see, I've got to learn how not to compromise the gospel. As a matter of fact, we talked about this in Romans chapter 116, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is something to be very shameful about because it's going to come to a point where people are going to be shamed into denying the gospel because of our stance, not because you're a Christian. Not because you love the Lord or you go to church or you have a Bible. Because of your stance of, and and they're going to throw, you're supposed to be a a group of including everyone. It's not an exclusive club. You cannot just put out whoever you don't want to put out. Everyone is included in your church, right? Well, uh, yeah, you know, and, and we are going to be forced to make a decision. Not only in church, beloved, but also at work. Wherever you go, that choice is going to be made for us. If we don't, comp- if we compromise the gospel, you see what Jesus had said in Mark chapter eight, verse thirty-eight. He says, "For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." I got to learn how not to compromise the gospel. Number two, I will continue to walk in faith. Paul's rebuke of Peter set one of the most forceful forceful statements in the New Testament about the doctrine of justification. And he goes into this portion of, and from this point forward for the next, this chapter and uh, the next chapter. We're going to talk about the doctrine of justification. We're going to talk about the doctrine of faith in Christ. We're going to talk about this being justified. Justified, never sin. And we're going to really just unload that and unpack it even more so as we go along. But for now, I just want to say that I I need to continue to live in that state, to live in that state of justification. When you have come to the realization that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins, that you needed a Savior, that God is holy, and I cannot approach God because of my sin. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin, I have been justified. I have been justified in an old Sunday school uh, verse or, or rhyme that we used to say, just If I'd never sinned, that's exactly what justification is, just as if I'd never sinned. And I have to walk in that. I have to learn to live in the fact that I have been justified in Christ. And so when Paul starts off this doctrine of of justification, this teaching of justification, he's trying to get us to the point where to understand that we, we need to live and walk in that justification. He says this in verses 15 through 16, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. When he says sinners, he's not talking about the sinner as those that are opposed from God because we're all sinful men. But as a Jew, when you talk about a sinner, he's the, type of, he's the person that will not uphold the traditional ceremonial laws. And for the Gentiles, they were all sinners because they were not upholding the, Gent- the, the laws of the, and traditions of the Jews. But he says we're not like gentile sinners you know we we know how to we know the laws we know the traditions we know the customs we know all the all the holidays all the things that we need to do so yeah we're not like them but he says we ourselves are Jews by birth and not gentile sinners yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Beloved, you cannot come to church enough. You cannot read your Bible enough. You cannot give enough money. You cannot do enough to get saved. It's through justification. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through Him and Him alone. It is. It is uh, by grace that you're saved, alone. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. Alone, And it is in Christ alone that you're saved. It is by grace through faith in Christ alone. It is by grace that you're saved. It is in faith that you're saved. And it is in Christ Jesus uh, alone that we are saved. And so I need to continue to walk in that understanding that there is nothing, nothing more that needs to be done for my salvation. So then why come to church? Why read my Bible? Why give tithes and offerings. Why even work? Well, that, beloved, is my act of, uh, of, of thanksgiving. Everything I do from this point forward is like a, a PS at the bottom of the letter, and here's what I'm giving back. I'm doing so because of what God has done for me. I do so because I love him, and I respect, and I honor his word, and I want to obey what he said to me. The only way to honor God, you know, you've probably heard that we are to bless the Lord and people say, how do I bless God? How do I do do that? Isn't it God that's supposed to bless me? How do I bless God in in my response to what He's done for me? I think one of the most simplest probably illustrations for those of you that have children, you know, that when you tell them and ask them to do something for you and and they do it, you know, doesn't that bless you? (laughs) And when they do it on their own accord, oh, look it, they're throwing the garbage. I mean, doesn't that bless you? Okay, now, now think about how God, yeah, well, some of you guys think that never happens well, to me. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it probably would be good, no, but you know what I'm talking about. Can you imagine, you know, just multiply the times infinity, and every time that we respond to God in obedience, that's my son, that's my mijo, that's my miha. You know, that's my child, and it blesses God for us to be obedient. And so when I continue in the faith, I bless God by, by knowing that He's called me, number one, that I've been saved. And so we need to continue to walk that way. In Second Corinthians, we read this here a couple of weeks ago, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. One day we'll stand in the presence of God. One day, and, and we're we're, away from the, we're in the body right now, but one day we'll be away from it. And in that time, in the process of, when we walk by faith, it blesses God. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't. You know, thousands of Americans thought they were going to wake up today and enjoy Sunday. We don't know. Number three, back of your outlines. I will clarify my commitment to Christ. I will clarify my commitment to Christ. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant to sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live. To God. What Paul is saying here is, is, you know, if if those guys that are talking to you and saying that they have to be Jews before they become Christians and you have to pull away from them, but but you've been actually working with them because you saw that you said yourself that Jesus Christ said, go ahead, kill and eat. You know, does that make Jesus a sinner? Because he told you to hang out with these Gentiles, these people that are not of your same background, your same heritage, your same whatever nationality, and now you're pulling back and you think that now that you're pulling back because they said so, so did Jesus Christ actually lie to you and tell you to do this or did He not? Were you confused? So does that make Jesus Christ a sinner? Well, of course not because all that God has given us, all that we have, and we bring the church together. And it's not just a one-race church. It's a multi-generational, national-level type of church that just comes together. And any church that wants to leave anybody out is an abomination. And I tell you, that is going to be, you see, even God agrees, that is going to be the fall of the church. In Romans chapter 7, Verses 1 and 2, Paul says, The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Paul says there's a the law, and this is the law. And, you know, if, if the person dies, then, then it's no longer binding. You, beloved, if you've placed your, your faith in Jesus Christ, have been crucified with Christ. We're going to read that here in just a bit. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, and you have been crucified with Christ. That cross that he bore, you were on it with him. You were on it on his palms. You were on every drop that was spilt on the cross, covered your sin for all eternity when you place your faith in him. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. And when you hear the word of God, God gives you the faith, to respond to that call that He has given you. And when you have done that, when you have heard and when you have believed, He has given you the ability to believe. And when you respond and you say, yes, Lord, then you have died to the law. You have died to your sin. You have died to everything that has been holding you down. And so, therefore, you're dead. The old is gone, the new has come. Uh, Those who are in Christ Jesus... Are The old is gone, the new come. You have died to your old self, and yet we still continue on, and we, we continue on working in this sinful world, and we get influenced, and we compromise, and, and, and we don't continue in that walk, and we fall, but, but you're still covered. You're covered for all eternity. Now, one of the questions that was asked, especially for those that you know, genuinely believe that you can lose your salvation... So, so, so what if a person says, I got saved, I came forward and then goes and does what, whatever they want to do. They've never understood. And this is why this doctrine of justification has to be understood, unpacked, and really just understand the fact that, that w- when you are justified, you don't go back. I mean, it doesn't mean you're perfect. You fall, you mess up, but you don't go back and live your lifestyle on purpose intentionally. There's that idea that I came forward, I raised my hand, I even cried, I made that prayer. I even shared my, my, you know, my failings with everybody. They all know all about me, so therefore I'm good. No. And they go out and they live the life that they want to live because according to them, they have been saved forever. Cannot lose your salvation. And that's, you know, that, that's, that's the belief. But a person that has been justified recognizes their wretchedness. Their evil vileness. They recognize that there is something sinful within us. Every one of us has that. And if you do not believe that you're a liar, you call God, excuse me, if you do not believe that you're a sinner, you call God to be a liar. Because all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And there is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who seeks after God. And that's why when you come to that realization that I cannot save myself, a brokenness happens in your life. You repent and you, you call out to God and in that, self, that saving moment that God has saved you and placed his spirit within your heart, it transforms you and it changes you. And you grow and you develop and you continue to grow. It's not just a one and done. You continue to grow every day, not just on Sundays. And so, but when you die, to yourself, then it's over with. Look at verse 4 and Romans 7 4. And you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. If I were to commit a crime, if I were to commit a crime, and I was to be executed, uh, a crime that caused execution, that would that would warrant an execution and I would be executed yet on the table or wherever it is, the injection, whatever they give me, it does not fully execute me. I'm not dead. I wake back up again. I am free because I was dead. And now if I'm awake again, I am free from the law for my, for my punishment because I paid my debt to society or even if I were to die and I was, I was, I was executed and buried, then my penalty is gone. It is is erased because I paid my debt to society. When you commit your life to Christ, Jesus Christ, execution, the murder, as Ryan just said a while ago, the murder that happened on the cross, that covered your sin. And you no longer have to pay for that sin. And it's the sin of being separated from God forever. You have died. You have been crucified through Christ. Therefore, you no longer live. It is Christ that needs to live through you. Number four, I will commit my life to Jesus Christ. And when I say commit my life, the idea is, okay, well, I raise my hand. I'll commit my life to Christ. I will surrender to him. In this portion here, of what Paul is saying in verses 20 and 21. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if its righteousness were through the law, then Christ, excuse me, died for no purpose. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's not me. It's Jesus Christ. And, I, and it's, it's the life that, that I now live in the flesh. When you commit your life to Christ as a new believer, the Holy Spirit resides in you, wakes you up, and you realize that, yeah, I was a sinner, but now I'm saved. And so the commitment that you make from that day forward is a commitment to walk. In, the, in, in this life. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So that life that you live right now, as everywhere you go, you live by faith that Jesus Christ saved you and that Jesus Christ, only the Son of God, who gave himself, look at this, who loved me and gave himself for me. It was nothing that I could do. It was nothing that I could even accomplish. I could not work for it, but he loved me. And that's why he gave himself for me. From the very foundations of the world, he loved me. He gave himself for me. He, he knew who I was. He had foreknowledge of me, and he loved me anyways, in spite of. You know, and that, that just blows me away. How God could love me after all the things that I've said and seen and done. All the places I've been. You know, just, just the evil, the wickedness of my life. I don't have to go into detail, but you know, I, I, I would burn my, my family, my kids, my wife. You know, it was, just, it was just, I was a very selfish individual. I did whatever I wanted to do. That was my lifestyle. That was, it was just all about me. Then one day at the age of 30, I recognized that, you know, my brokenness was so bad that I really believed that that God would not even want me. There was no forgiveness for me. I came to that point. I brought my children to church, and I said, Pastor, fix them. Help them. You know, and I wasn't Catholic. A lot of people look at me and say, what, a Mexican? You're not a Catholic? I I wasn't Catholic. You know, I I was a pedestrian. Anyways, uh, crossing the streets. And, and, and so I says, I, I don't baptize children. You know, I don't believe in that. Can you do that? Whatever you guys do, you know, the, you mean the dedication? Yeah, yeah, do that. And he goes, well, why? I, says, I don't want them to go to hell. And he looks at me point blank and says, well, what about you? It's too late for me, pastor. Seriously. I'm 30 years old. You know, just, just, I'm too old. I'm, it's, it's too late for me. And that's when he shared the grace of God. That's when he shared what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. And my wife and I were sitting in front of him. And we said, I said, you know, if that's true, then I want that. I want that to be true in my life. And it was that irresistible grace. And it's not like that grace wasn't given to me before. It wasn't like nobody's ever talked to me about that before. And I've heard, and I went to Sunday school when I was a kid, and, and you know, I, th- and that's one of the reasons I really felt like I already know that stuff, and I did all that stuff anyway, so I don't think God wants me. But, but it, was, it was just that irresistible grace. that, that It just filled that office. And, and both my wife and I, we knelt before the Lord in, in, in front of the pastor, and we, gave, we surrendered. And it was different. It changed. Everything changed from that day forward. Never in a million years that I ever thought I'd be a pastor preaching the gospel, right? Right, Pastor Bill. Never, never in a million years that I thought, right, Ryan. I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to do that. You know, I, I, I just right, Ken. Ken's back there nodding his head as well. But you know what? God has a plan and a purpose. But that's not the gospel. The gospel that Jesus Christ died for sinners just like me that really believed there was nowhere else to go. And He died and He gave His life for me. I take this very personal, beloved, and I pray you do as well. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. You cannot nullify God's grace, by the way. You cannot cancel it out. You cannot negate it. You cannot do anything with God. God's grace is God's grace, and it is there. But what Paul is saying, he says, you know, if if I could, you know, I don't want to nullify it. I don't want to just say it's nothing for If righteousness were through the law, and that's kind of how you nullify it. If you say, well, I got to get saved by doing this, X, Y, Z. Then Christ died for no purpose. You know, when I ask people, and I share the gospel, one of the first questions I ask is, you know, have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven? You know, and people say, well, yeah, I think so. And of course, they say, well, my second question, well, what would you tell God? You know, if you were to be standing before him right now, and, and you know, and, and you were there. And God would ask you, Why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you in? And most of the time they come back and say, Well, you know, I, I I've been a pretty good person. I, I've gone to church. I you know, I I don't I don't drink, I don't I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't hang around with women that do. I don't uh, you know, do all those things that, you know, I'm not a murderer. Well, thank God. Nobody here is a murderer, right? All right, good. Ken. Uh <laughs> You know, I'm not a murderer. I don't do those kind of things. You know, and, and I, okay, well, that's good. That's good. But let me ask you something. Let me say, Let me ask you this one question. If all I have to do is to be a pastor or to be good, if all I have to do is just to, eh, you know, just, just not do all those bad things and, 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 and make sure that my life is on the straight and narrow, if I can do that for the rest of my life, and if at all it was possible, which it's not, then... Jesus Christ died for nothing. That cross that he endured, the pain, the suffering, the lashings, the crown of thorns, the nails in his hands, the ridicule, the plucking of the beard, the, the beating, all that that he did on the cross was nullified. Was, is canceled out. And all of that was, is, is worthless if I can be that good to make it into heaven. You see, what Paul is saying here, that if I do not nullify the grace of God, I cannot nullify that grace, first of all. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. It was for no reason. And so Paul goes on to say, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, we're twice crucified because, well, we're crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but now He lives through me. And in Romans 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And it is that being enslaved to this sinful body, I'm still here, But you don't have to sin. All I have to do is what Jesus Christ said. And this is the twice crucified. And he said to all, if you would come after me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, I don't believe Jesus Christ asked you to come by and pick up our cross from the church or build your own and carry it with you. The cross was a very... Uh, horrible, horrible experience. You, you mentioned the cross, you mentioned the crucifixion, everybody knew what it was. We don't have much information about crucifixions in the Bible. The Bible doesn't actually tell us, you know, the, the steps of the crucifixion. We know that he was nailed to a cross, hands and feet. But we don't really know the f- full ramification. Crucifixions happened all the time. They happened all the time by the Romans. One day they, they crucified 3,000 people because there was a revolt. There were people being crucified all the time. And they knew that it was only meant for the worst and vilest offenders. Those enemies of the state. Jesus was an enemy of the state. He went up against Caesar, so was supposed. They made up, law, uh, made up these false charges. A lot of the apostles were enemies of the state, enemies of religion, enemies of this inclusivity that was perpetrated just to get rid of that sect. You see, beloved, when you get persecuted in the near future, when perse- persecution actually comes, you're not going to get persecuted because you're a Christian, though that's why you're going to be persecuted. You're not going to be persecuted because you go to church or you believe in the Son of Jesus Christ. But you're going to be persecuted because you're a bigot or you're a homophobe. You're going to get persecuted and lose your job, your possessions, because you, uh, you know, don't believe in this equality act. You're going to be persecuted or you're going to be uh, chastised or things that you're going to lose are going to be because of your devotion and your commitment to not compromise. Those things that are in the mix, that are starting to take place, those things that are within our our culture now, that's why. Not because you're a Christian, but ultimately that's the reason why. You'll be forced to make a decision, uh, uh, some sort of a, you know, and the bad thing is, is if one person that you look up to, then like Cephas, and, and you really believe that, you know, okay, well, you're right. Maybe we should just back off of this thing here for a moment. You know, because we don't, want to be, we don't want to be called into account by James or anybody else. It'll influence others like Barnabas. Barnabas was, I mean, he's the guy that introduced Paul. Everybody loved Barnabas. Joseph was his name. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. Bar Encouragement, son of encouragement. And, and, and so, you know, but even he waffled on his commitment and others and they all stood back. And said, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't, don't want to get I don't want to get persecuted. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my income. But beloved, it's, it's coming. And it won't be because you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It'll be because of the things that are going on within the world, within our culture. And let it be known that we've never, ever turned anybody down or anybody away. We've included as many people as possible. Yet, yet when we preach the gospel, that starts to separate. Well, you can't say that. I, I didn't say that. That's what the Bible says. You know, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're evil, wretched, vile, wicked sinners saved by grace. That's what the Bible teaches. I can't change that. I wish I could. I know that we are being talked into uh, and and kind of forced into. There's a coalition of Christians, both Christians, a lot of various denominations that are uh, are starting to promote this. Include everybody, and and let everybody work in your church and let you know because God loves everyone, you know. But then that's contrad- contradictory to the Word of God, and so we have to work with what the Word of God says in our life, and stand firm. Last week I talked to you guys about the importance of doctrine. The doctrine of justification, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the end times, the doctrine of grace, the, you know, all these doctrines that the Bible teaches on. And many of you already kind of have a, a firm grasp on those Doctrines. But, but I said something that, was, that I hope you caught on to that doctrines without deeds are dead. You know, you can have all this book knowledge and all this understanding of what the Bible says, but if you're not living it out, and for the most part, we haven't been challenged to live out our faith to the death. You know, there's coming a time when uh, our kids and our grandkids, I mean, we've lost most of them through the educational system already. The educational system has indoctrinated a lot of our kids. They go in as Christians and come out like, "Ah, there ain't no God. There's no God in the the universities. And and our our schools are being, uh, as well, indoctrinating our children. And we've lost a lot of our our young kids, our loved ones. And and there's going to come a day when they're going to rise up, our children, our grandchildren, against us for being bigots, for being, uh, I guess, whatever. You name it. Sexist. Homophobes you'll know, we'll, we'll be labeled as such and, and we have to make the plea look it, it's not that i'm just going by what the word of god says i love i even love your friend I, I love your friend so much that i want them to know the true gospel of jesus christ and i will not stop proclaiming that and invite them and bring them and i'll love them and i'll i'll feed them but but you know it, it's oh you don't understand I I I don't know what to say. I would I, I don't know how that's going to pan out. Where are you going to stand? Where are you going to stand? But the interesting thing, folks, is number one, it's not going to be noble. You're 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 going to be called uh, a nut if you tend to run for politics and, and 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 claim that the word of God is is on the you know in your mind and. Uh, on your tongue, and that's all, you're going to be clarified as a lunatic? Oh, you, you believe in that old stuff? You're going to be, you're going to be classified as, as one of those people out in the fringes, those wacko nut jobs that believe in fairy tales and all those other things? It's not because you're a Christian, so they think, but it is. And, and, and your, your stance is going to have to stand firm. And, and the Word of God has to be living in your life. Doctrines without deeds are dead. You have to live this out. And you have to live out what God has already showed you and talked to you about. We need to live this out. I need to commit my life to, Je- to Jesus Christ and His Word. I need to commit my life to what He said. You know, on this solid rock, Jesus ended the Beatitudes With anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man that built his house upon the sand. The rains came down, the floods raised, and the winds blew up against it, and the house on that rock, on the sand, fell flat. But on the flip side of that, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man that built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the floods, same rain, same flood, same wind, same contractor probably, but different foundations. And so there it is. What are we going to do? How is that going to change our behavior? How is that going to change our belief? And beliefs are basically our doctrine. What is it that we believe in? How is it that we're going to move forward from this point forward? I know it's not a very positive understanding, but beloved, you know, we lose. It's not going to be noble. We lose on this planet. On this planet, it's, it's coming. It's going to happen. It's just what we know. But ultimately, we win. Can we say amen? Ultimately, we end up in heaven and we end up winning. But here on this, this world is not our, our planet. This world is not our, our own. We, we are not of this world. We're just passing through. And in the process of passing through, we need to make an impact as much as possible, as often as possible. And it's not going to be pretty, but it's going to happen. People are going to ridicule and laugh, and, and, well, that's if they did it to Jesus if they did it to all the apostles. All the apostles were martyred. And every martyrdom has really happened because of laws that they violated. They were enemies of the state. I know that we say they were martyred because of the faith in Jesus Christ. That's the story that we hear. But that's not the story that the public is hearing. The public hears, well, they went up against the laws, they went up against whatever the case may be. So we need to be committed to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, you've called us to be your children, your ambassadors, reconciling the world to you. And in this reconciliation, Father, we do not deviate from your word. We are a people that includes those that you brought to us, Lord. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we ask people, and we implore, and we pray for those as each one of us were to change our life, to repent. To repent from what the world has taught us and turn to you. To make a change in our life, a new change. Because we are in Christ Jesus. We are new creations. We are different. We are born again, not as before. We are different. We are new. And we ask, Father, for each one that comes to you to do the same. Because that's what you've asked. And just like each one of us came from a a very different background, lives that were destined to be eternally damned, you changed our lives. You changed our mind. You changed our thinking. And we thank you for that. So, Father, as we draw closer to the end, I pray that we can stay committed to you, stay committed to the gospel, that we continue to just walk in clarity and recognize what it is that you do within your church. Thank you, Father, for this this time that you give us to be able to share and to be able to enjoy life together, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.